<clears throat> so last week was a, there was, we were talking about the flood, and I felt like it was a little heavy. Um, so this week, we're going we're gonna to go from flood to wedding. Uh, John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11 is what we're going to be looking at. You can find it on the screen behind me, uh, or you can follow along, however it is you have it uh, in your hands. Uh, John chapter 2, 1 through 11. Before we read, let's pray together. God, we just take a moment to quiet ourselves. so that we can be ready to hear a word from you. Come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds so that we can hear your voice. Amen. John chapter 2, 1 through 11. Hear these words. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. (laughs) Mom, how would you like if I talked to you that way? Anyway, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Such a good story. Uh, So many angles you could take at this. Um, but we're, we're, we're going to focus on, first on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, we're going to kind of take, we're going to take the, we're going to fly into this story uh, through Mary. Because I think the way that John writes it, he's like, hey, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mom was there. Oh yeah, also, Jesus and his disciples were there too. They had been invited too. But Jesus' mom was there. It almost seems to me like a hint. We want you to get to Jesus. I want you to understand what Jesus is up to here. But first, first, pay attention to mama. Pay attention to Mary. Because what she does mm, is good. So that's how we're going to do this. Uh, You know how a pendulum works? Are you familiar with this? Just so that we're all on the same page, let me describe it uh, to you really quick. So a pendulum... It's the thing that swings back and forth. Once it's released, it can never return to the same point or a point higher because of friction and gravity. It always just slows down and slows down and slows down until it comes to a, to a stop. That's called uh, the state of equilibrium. 
uh, and where all forces are equal and it's just staying there at rest. Are we familiar? It's basic physics, right? Okay, so I, I read a story uh, about a college student who was uh, asked by his professor to, for speech class to teach a lesson to the class. So he decided to teach a lesson on the pendulum. Uh, so after explaining briefly the, the laws of physics regarding the pendulum, he fixed a, a little bit of weight to a string and then put it at the top of the whiteboard in the classroom. Then he took it to the side and marked where he was going to release it. Uh, and he let it go. And each time it swung back, he'd made another mark and another mark and another mark. And it took less than a minute for the thing to stop. And the marks on the board uh, proved the laws of phys physics that it can never go back to or higher than the place that it was released. Then he said to the class, do you trust in the laws of physics regarding the pendulum. And everybody in the room, all the students raised their hand, yes, we trust it. Uh, so did the professor, raised his hand. Then he pointed to the middle of the room where he had created a larger pendulum, 250 pounds of steel tied to the end of four 500-pound parachute cords affixed to the steel beams that hold the building together. Then he invited the professor to climb up onto the table and sit into a chair with his head against the cement wall in the room. Then he took the 250 pounds of weight, forming this giant pendulum in the middle of the place. He brought it up to the, up to the professor's nose. And he said, now, the laws of physics regarding the pendulum state that it will never return back to the same point. So your nose should be just fine. You're safe. Do you trust in the laws of physics regarding the pendulum? And the professor, with sweat on his brow, was like, yes. <laughs> Let the metal go. 250 pounds of weight fling across the room. The cords make a swishing noise. It sort of pauses at the other end of the room and then starts making its way back. The professor takes one look at that 250 pounds of metal coming straight down at his nose and he jumps off the table in the chair as quickly as he could. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. I'm with the prof on that one, <laughs> right? How many of y'all would, yeah, I'm, I'm getting down off that chair and that table. The professor didn't trust in the laws of physics regarding the pendulum, and who can blame him? Trust. Trust can be a tricky thing, right? Like we tend to base our trust on uh, scientific proof, on observable data. For instance, when it's winter and it's getting close to the end of winter and we're all sick of winter, uh, we trust that spring will come and that it's not going to be winter forever, and that eventually the trees and the flowers are beginning to blossom and bloom. We know that the earth's tilt on its axis and its rotation around the sun affects, uh, affects the, the warmth of our climate and the seasonal change and all that kind of stuff. We trust that soon it will be spring, right? Because we know it. We've observed it. We've learned about it in school. Think about the people that we call trustworthy, why do we call them trustworthy? They are worthy of our trust because we've been able to observe them in situations that affect us. And the, the fruit of their labor, the actions we've seen, those things are actually good. And so we believe in these people. We call them worthy of our trust. They are trustworthy. Trustworthy. 
right? But trust can also be a tricky thing, like in the case of our pendulum-dodging professor, right? Sometimes scientific proof, observable data, just isn't enough for us to decide that something or someone is worthy of our trust. And when there's no scientific proof, when there's no observable data, oftentimes we just back off, we back away. We don't make any decisions, we don't make any commitments because it's hard to take a, a leap of faith, a step of faith when we don't have any observable data or scientific proof in front of us. Mary, in our story this morning, she had no doubts. All she had was trust and a firm commitment in Jesus. Think about the trust that she has here. Verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mom was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. They have no more wine, Jesus. So, she finds herself confronted with a problem. And it's beyond her ability to solve it to fix it. There's nothing she could do. The place was out of wine, which was an absolute social disaster for the wedding party. Nothing she could do, except for maybe one thing. She quietly and confidently takes Jesus aside, doesn't ask him to do anything. All she does, get this, is lay the problem out for him. They have no more wine, Jesus. She doesn't ask him to do a thing. All she does is say, she lays out the problem, they have no more wine. Let's pause there for a second. How often, when we're confronted with a problem, something's up, and we think to ourselves, I should probably pray about that. How often, when confronted with a problem, do we pray ask God to fix it, and then tell God exactly what God's got to do in order to make it happen. Like steps one through three, or 10. Like, God, I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. I need this to happen. I need this to happen. Please do this. Please do this. How often, when confronted with a problem, do we ask God to fix it, and then tell God how to fix it? Mary doesn't do anything like that. She just lays out the problem they have no more wine. What would it be like for us when confronted with a problem? What would it be like for us to just sit with God? To just lament and say, here's the problem. And then just wait. Just wait. What would it be like? That's what Mary does. And then Jesus says, dear woman, what are you getting me involved in this for? Right? What's happening? In other words, what does this have to do with me and you? It doesn't seem like Jesus wants to have anything to do with this. Right? But even after that, in the face of Jesus' response to her, Mary continues to remain confident. And she's focused on the problem. Even though it looks like Jesus isn't going to do anything at all about it, she goes over to the servants and she takes them to the side and maybe winks at them and she says, 
do whatever he tells you to do. So Mary, <laughs> I love that. Mary trusted that Jesus had everything in his power to do something about it, to, do, to take care of the needs of the situation. Even though she didn't know what he was going to do or exactly how he was going to do it, she still trusted that he would be able to take care of the situation. She says, just do whatever he tells you to do. So she lays out the problem and waits. Doesn't tell him how to fix it, just waits. And then she says, do what he says to do. She trusted Jesus enough not to tell him what to do, but to wait and listen. Do what he tells you to do. So Mary, and then what happens? Mary's trust in her son opens the door to transformation. Water gets turned into wine, right? Uh, a disaster of a party is turned into like the, the, the hottest party in town, right? But that shouldn't surprise us because that's the kind of thing that trust does, right? Trust is one of the foundations of good and healthy relationships. Right? Trust in another person. Think about your relationships, especially the people you trust the most. Trust in relationships opens the door to all sorts of different possibilities. Like a trust in a spouse can open the door to healthy family life. Trust in a doctor can open the door to health and wholeness. Follow these steps. Do these things. Here's the problem. Wait. Listen. Then respond. Do whatever he tells you to do. Trust in your mechanic. Sometimes a really hard thing to do. All I did was want an oil change, and now you're telling me I need my AC fixed and my transition, transmission flushed? Are you kidding me? But trust in a mechanic can lead to a well-oiled vehicle, a well-put-together vehicle, a vehicle that runs properly. Trust is one of the foundations of good, healthy relationships. Right? And if trust in another person can open up all those kinds of doors, what would, what would trust in the maker of heaven and earth do for us? What would it be like for us to say, God, here it is, and then wait? Do whatever he tells you to do. Just wait. Pause. Listen. Trust opens the door to transformation. Oh, water into wine. A dead party into the best party in town. Just wait. Then do. Have you seen the show Fixer Upper? Anybody? <laughs> I love that show. In fact, Renee and I have the whole last season on DVR, and we have to figure out a time to, to watch that. When are we going to watch that? Anyway, it's so hard. Yeah, we don't, have, we don't have Netflix or Hulu. We're still the DVR people. Um, Anyway, I love that show. Uh, here's the basic premise of the show. With Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The, ba the basic premise of the show is this. Uh, they, they have some clients that are, have moved to Waco, Texas, and they're looking for a new home. Uh, and so Chip and Joe, they take them to look at like two or three different homes. And these aren't regular homes. These homes are like, they need some work. Like some of them are really bad, really run down. Some of them are complete dumps. 
So they take him to the place and they walk through these homes. And while they're there, Joanna tells them exactly what they're going to do. We're going to blow out this wall and make this. They're always blowing out walls. We're going to take out this wall and make the kitchen huge. We're going to make these two rooms one room. It'll be your master suite. We'll put the bathroom here. There'll be a huge closet here. Off the back, we'll put an addition on. We'll add another room because we just got rid of a room here. So we're going to add space there. We're going to put crown molding in here. She always does crown molding. I think it's her thing. So once they get done with that, the next step is to sit down after they've chosen which house they're going to do. And then Joe gives them a, a, a computer rendering of what it's going to look like. And it's at this point in the show, about 25 minutes to a half hour into the hour-long show, it's time for the clients to stop, take a step back, because their work is done. They have to stop. They have to take a step back. And they have to trust that their huge investment into this dump of a home is actually going to work out okay. They have to stop. They have to take a step back and they have to trust that Chip and Joe know what they're doing and that they can work their magic. And work their magic, they do every single time. They take a dump of a home and turn it, transform it into a work of art. And like at the end of every show, I'm like, Renee, we got to move to Waco because I want them to do a home for us. Right? It's so good. At some point, they have to stop. They have to take a step back. They have to trust that Chip and Joe can do their thing. That's what happens. Trust opens the door to transformation. Trust opens the door to complete transformation. Friends, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it again and again and again later on, weeks down the road, but transformation might just be what this gospel we so dearly love is all about. Change. Transformation making all things new. It might just be what this thing is all about. Transformation might be at the heart of it all. Just think about Jesus and his life while he walked on this planet. He was always involved. Everything he touched, every relationship he was in, everything he did, eventually did something with transformation. Think about it. He turned water into wine. He transformed the lame into walkers. He transformed the, the blind into seer, the deaf into hearers, the doubters into believers. Eventually, he, he transformed death into life, right? But here's the thing. Transformation can only happen when there's trust involved because trust opens the door to transformation. Mary trusted her son. And, we, and Jesus, she just laid out the problem and waited. Do whatever he tells you to do. Complete and utter trust. And Jesus, because of her trust, went to being a, just a simple guest at the party to all of a sudden being the host of the party. How many of us have that kind of trust that leads to transformation? Do we have the kind of trust to allow Jesus to go from just being a mere guest, just a simple guest in our life, to actually being the host of our lives? Do we have that 
kind of trust? What kinds of possibilities are out there if we would just step back, let go, and trust? There's one more thing I want to point out. It's the obvious one, really. Um, we're going to start at verse 6. Uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. Okay, let's stop right there. Each jar contains how much water? 20 to 30 gallons. There were six jars with 20 to 30 gallons of water in the jars. Let's do the math. That's 120 to 180 gallons of water turned into wine. Now, either Jesus was like the fiercest party animal you ever met, or there's like another message he's trying to send. Maybe it's both. I don't know. But I think there's another message he's trying to send. I think the excess, I think, I think the extra, I think the abundance there, I think that's important. It seems to me that that would be important. 120 to 100, maybe it was a ginormous party. That's a lot of wine. That's extra. The abundance, I think it's important. Martin Luther King Jr. writes about an old African-American woman named Mother Pollard. After walking for weeks in the Montgomery bus protest, she was asked uh, if she was tired. And she responded, my feet is tired. Oh, but my soul is rested. I like that. Weeks marching in the bus protest. Are you tired? Ah, oh, my feet is tired, but, but my soul, my soul is rested. And then he goes on to talk about how he was speaking at a mass rally later on that night. And I want you to listen to his words. I attempted to convey an overt impression of strength and courage although I was moderately depressed and fear-stricken. At the end of the meeting, Mother Pollard came to the front of the church and said, Come here, son. I immediately went to her and hugged her affectionately. Something's wrong with you, she said. You didn't talk strong tonight. King then tried to disguise his fear even more. No, no, Mother Pollard, nothing's wrong. I'm feeling as fine as ever. You can't fool me, she said. I know something's wrong. Is it that we ain't doing the things to please you, or is it that the white folks is bothering you? Before I could respond, she looked directly into my eyes and said, I done told you we was with you all the way. And then her face became radiant, and she said in words of quiet certainty, but even if we ain't with you, God's going to take care of you. My feet is tired. Oh, but my soul is rested. See, the excess, the abundance in this story, I think it's significant. 
I think it's significant because it says to us that no matter how lost we are, no matter how lonely we are, no matter how exhausted we are, God's got more than enough, more than enough to find us, to comfort us, to replenish us, to transform us. There's more than enough there. Friends, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on, but chances are there will come a time in your life when you're gonna need that from God. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to just lament before God, lay it out there, and then just wait? Listen, and then do what he tells you to do. Do you have that kind of trust? Are you willing to have the kind of trust that allows Jesus to become more than just a guest in your life, someone you just, you know, grab and take along when you need him? Transforms him from being that to, to being the host of your life. If you do that, you might just find yourself in a place where no matter what your circumstances are, if you have that kind of trust, you might just find yourself anxious, maybe scared, maybe afraid, but deep down inside, if you have that kind of trust, you might just find yourself with a soul that is rested, with the knowledge that going to be okay. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for um, thank, thank you for how you, you urge us, call us to put our trust in you. Oftentimes the, the anxiety in our lives rises to a level that we, we get to a point where we just tell you what we need and tell you what we need you to do for us and and we never take the time to just rest, to just stop, to just lay the problem out for you and then just wait and stop and listen, trusting that you'll come, that you'll show off, that you'll show up and that you'll make it clear to us exactly what we need to you. God, we place our trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's